I try to build upon whatever they're trying to do, you know, and shape it, what message they want to convey, who they want to convey it to, what their dream is, you know. Many people want to write a memoir that's a legacy product for their families. They, they're not going to publish it, you know, I try to walk them through the process of discovering a theme because memoir is just thematic based. It's not your entire life, you know, like an autobiography, like Ben Franklin's autobiography. It's really the most dramatic, life-changing event in my life, or maybe somebody has five or six of them, but we focus on one, and then we orchestrate all of the, the scenes around that theme. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story, a podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Laurel Marshfield, who is a ghostwriter and book coach and owner of Blue Horizon Communications. Her company specializes in ghostwriting as well as manuscript evaluation and developmental editing. She joins us today to talk about the ins and outs of ghostwriting. So welcome to the podcast, Laurel. Thanks so much, Stephanie. You and I were both judges for the Rehoboth Beach Reads contest with yep. uh, Nancy Sakadeski introduced yes. us. reading 500 stories and deciding which ones are the best. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it was funny. You and I both, I think, had similar yeah, taste in the fact we did. that we, you and I both kind of I can't remember the name of the story, but we both liked that one story that nobody else liked. Yeah, exactly. You and I were you and I were right on, on it. On the and same I, page. Yeah, we were on the same page. And I guess in a nutshell, you know, ghostwriting is you step in for somebody else who can't do it. Um, yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, ghostwriting is sort of like when a dinosaur is discovered and you only have one bone of the dinosaur, then um, those people are able to reconstruct the entire dinosaur. And what happens with a ghostwriter is you often only have a small piece of something to work with. And the skill of a ghostwriter is to really pretty much invent something from more or less nothing. Although there can be people who have entire manuscripts written, but they don't like how it turned out. It's not the level that they're looking for, um, in which case uh, the ghostwriter can step in and up, up the level. Basically, with ghostwriting, there is the writer who is anonymous for the most part and gets paid to write a book or some other piece of written material, and the author who pays to have it written, and the author's name is on the, the book or the whatever it is, article, speech, um, and the writer, the ghostwriter, is anonymous. Although there are times when um, the ghostwriter will be given a with designation, sort of like Donald Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, was with Tony Schwartz, or else he was the co-author, one or the other, so... Yeah, the, when you when you see the widths on the on the famous yeah, they did the biographies, writing. <laughs> yeah. Do you, 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 do you like do a lot of interviews? You get them transcribed, and how does that work? Um, actually, no. I have I the first book I ever ghost wrote was um, for a, a radiologist at the University of Pennsylvania who uh, was famous in his field. He was in his uh, late eighties, and um, his memory wasn't as good as it might have been when he was twenty. I did interview him, but. What it involved mostly was more the dinosaur effect. I would get the the gist of his scene, 
and then I would kind of flesh it out quite a bit, and then I would take it back to him. He would read it and approve it and make small changes. You know, he was like 88, and he died two years after the book was published. But did, you, did you find that that work helped jog his memory when, when he read it? Oh, that's not, right, no. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, it, it was really important for him because his memory was, was truly going in a severe way, so he was able to revisit his whole life in that way. I may have... reconstituted some of his memories a little differently. I felt as though I was really able to contribute to his feeling of closure with his life and... and, uh, Because normally when you talk to a writer, their name is on the work. You're going to write and create and craft and kind of Mm -hmm. birth this thing and then just someone Mm -hmm. else gets to take credit for that. I mean, is that... I mean, what is that like? It's not really your project. You know, it's, it's not my material. Like, Dr... Herlinger's life story was not my material, you know, and so I don't I don't have that feeling of, of um, ownership that's been taken away that I might otherwise feel. But it's almost as if most writing that writers do is ghostwriting because the way in which each publication shapes the work that they publish is very definite, you know, definite. The editor shapes it into, you know, an article that will appear in the New Yorker, say, or or whatever Something in New York magazine. Yes, it, it works with their style, and they they really don't want you to write something that's so completely difficult to shape, you know. So, so the thought is, of the, the originality then. Yeah, kind of. it's you know you you have a certain amount of leeway, but really, truly, you're writing as if as the way ghostwriters do. It's work for hire. You're hired to write this stuff, and then they sort of shape it. You know, I, I think it's almost everything is ghostwritten in, in that in that sense. You know, I've done I've done a bunch of advertorial writing. And yeah, it's very much like that. Oh, it's sure. Like, yeah, it's it's not a story you would choose. I think that's probably a right. good a exactly. good distinction. Yeah. It's not it's not like I want to write about this. It's like I'm a writer, and this is a job. And you know, right, it is a job. Know, it's it's, it's yeah. the difference. It's yeah. the difference between you know cutting someone else's grass and learning to do topiary for your own house. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, I think yeah. like what made me think of that sort of moment was uh, a good friend of ours and who's been on the podcast a bunch of times, uh, Jeff Smith. He was actually hired to ghost write a book. A gentleman had this pretty incredible story and he had done three chapters and then passed away. And that was nonfiction. Oh. And that was, no, that yeah. was fiction. Historical, Historical fiction, fiction, creative nonfiction. It was somewhere in that sort of yeah. sort of blend. Mm-hmm. And uh, the daughter hired him mm-hmm. to finish, finish it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And what happened was Jeff fell in love with the story mm-hmm. and was like, oh my gosh. And I think there was almost this like moment of bittersweetness for him that I he fell in love with the story and mm-hmm. began to pull... Yeah. himself into sure. it and poured yeah. all of his blood, sweat, and tears into it. And yeah. then at the end, I was like, oh, but I'm not going right. to, my name's going to be nowhere near it. But luckily, yeah. the daughter, I think, acknowledged gave that him. work and gave him the width or with, the with, secondary with, yeah. co-author. co-author. Yeah. 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 And so I think that was sort of probably what led me to that. But I think you're right. Like, not every, you're not going to be in love with every story, but you've got a job to do. Right. It, it, the content really belongs to the author who's paying the writer to write it. And, um, even even when I really have almost totally constructed the whole thing, you know, I I often um, serve as sort of like you know the mental driver behind the whole thing, and I structure it, frame it, do the research, really establish the tone. Because writers, I mean, authors or people who want to have a, a book ghostwritten, 
are not necessarily that skilled in figuring out what's required to to construct a book. You know, it's it's a mystery unless it's something that you do. You know, most most writers, I think, could like, probably... Just tell the story. This is my story. Tell it. Yeah, right. Or I have this great idea, and I'll give you half of the royalties if you just write it for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for one thing, it probably won't get any royalties whatsoever. Secondly, um, it's the execution of the idea that's valuable. Anyone can come up with a million and one ideas. I mean, you know, it's worth nothing, unfortunately. But that's, you know, but people that come to me sometimes... Really have a have a um, a naive and skewed perspective about what's involved, you know. And I, so, so I, I do a lot of uh, interviewing of business people and things like yeah, that. And yeah. when you know about your business, it's really hard right. to imagine other people not knowing. And it's easy right. to forget that. Right. Well, most people don't do it every day. Most sure. people, everything they know about writing. They learn from movies, just like everything they learn about being a detective. They learn from movies. You know, it's yeah. it's the same thing that you you get to. You say, well, this is this is what it must be like because you don't have the sure. practical experience. So how hard could it be? Right. Uh, one of the things that I, I always like to, to say to my wife is, uh, I'll write down three words, and I'm like, okay, you know, three down, four hundred ninety-seven more to go. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's about. Now, now, now we got to yeah. flesh it out. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, and I think I'm, I'm always reminded of you know, kind of what you were saying there, I think it was Margaret Atwood, I think was, and I've, I think I've told this before and I'm pretty sure it was her, but she was at a a dinner party and someone said to her, so, Oh, what do you do? And she says, Oh, I'm, I'm an author. I'm, I'm a writer. And it was this guy who's like, Oh, you know, I think when I retire, I'm going to write a book. And I think her response was like, well, you know, when I retire, I'm going to be a brain surgeon, you know, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as though there's that was as though there's anybody can do it. Yes. Exactly. Well, that is you know any most people write you know to some degree, so they often do assume that anybody you know, but it's really like playing an instrument. I think J.K. Rowling had a Twitter um, or a quote somewhere that said, you know, being a writer is like learning how to play an instrument. You re- you really do have to spend years you know, perfecting your abilities. And there's a lot of unconscious stuff that goes into it, I think. Um, and I'm I'm a channel and a medium, and I think that also helps me because I have found that over the years, I sit down and words appear in my mind, and that's a little bit like channeling. I think most most writers end up doing that. You, you get almost like a, you know, a voice in your head that, that dictates the words, and then you shape them usually a few times, a couple hundred times. I always talk about it more more like a rhythm, like this is how it's going to go. And once you get a sense of how it's going to go, it's just a a question of doing the actual typing. That's what we we think we talked about that last week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I think that there's something to be said for seeing yourself as a channel, as a a medium for what's going on. Because like you said, these aren't your stories. These are stories that people are asking you to, to say. Translate for exactly. them. Exactly. Sort of, yeah, yeah. They've they basically like they handed you a hunk of clay and mm-hmm. said, "This is what I would like at the end of the Maybe day." A little tiny. <laughs> <laughs> Carve it all down and walk away with it just a little bit. You're listening to so. What's your story? And today we're talking with ghostwriter Laurel Marshfield. For mm-hmm. you, what is the process like? I mean, you talked about interviews, but mm-hmm. how else do you approach a ghostwriting project? Well, it, it really depends on what the author can offer me. Um, if it's simply um, an idea, 
then I will work with the um, the author and figure out what what they're trying to accomplish, and um, then I I will probably create sort of an outline. You know, it depends on whether it's a nonfiction book or a memoir or even a novel. I've ghostwritten a novel for somebody, oh, wow. which is sort of <laughs> funny. But um, biography, uh, you know, uh, there there are all kinds of formats. But the basic thing is, I try to build upon whatever they're trying to do, you know, and shape it, what message they want to convey, who they want to convey it to, what what their dream is, you know. Many people want to write a memoir that's a legacy product for their families. They, they're not going to publish it in, except mm. self-publish. Um, and in that case, I, you know, I try to walk them through the process of discovering a theme because memoir is just thematic based. It's not your entire life, you know, like an autobiography, like Ben Franklin's autobiography. It's really um, the most uh, dramatic, um, you know, uh, life-changing event in my life, or maybe somebody has five or six of them, but we focus on one. And then we orchestrate all of the content, the, the, um, the, the scenes around that theme. Like if they were a race right. race car driver, then we would talk about you know why how they got there, maybe starting with an accident in the you know first dramatic scene and then moving backwards and forwards in time to really convey the the sense of what they wanted to say that what what it's like to be a race car driver. Why would somebody do that? You know, right. I mean, put their life on the line constantly. Um, and and so that would be you would want to answer a question of some sort, you know, and also give pe- people the feeling of vicariously experiencing um, what that particular kind of life was about, you know. And it's very much like novel writing; you're trying to create scenes and dramatize stuff. Whereas when people think about I'm going to write my memoir, they sort of sit down and, and you know, if if they, they don't have any sk- yeah, yeah any skill, they'll say. And then I went to grade school, and after that, I got a dog named Buddy. And you know, it's right. it's not it's not a you are there experience for the reader. It's not an effort to be it's compelling. A, it's a this 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 happened, and then I got married, and then I got divorced, and then I, you know, it's hmm. it's not compelling. So what you do is you add the compelling quality to it, and 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 dramatize and amplify the essential thing that the the author is looking for. And hopefully they they will like it. <laughs> much of what you much of what you're talking about sounds very much like getting your manuscript edited, right? And I wonder how many of the people who have worked with you come away with a better sense of what it's what it's like to to have to work with it and to to do an, a, an actual book and to work with an editor and the back and forth of that. Yeah. Um, well, um, developmental editing is a little bit different, and, and I think um, that the, you know, the people that I've done that with have been pleased. I mean, I've got a lot of testimonials. You know, but yeah, they, they do understand that their initial effort typically was limited in its appeal, and that's usually why they come to me, you know, look, I did this, I'm not really thrilled with it, it doesn't really jump off the page. They can't see a way forward. Yeah, and I don't know how to fix it, you know, so, and that that would be developmental editing, restructuring, rewriting, mm. you know, trying to make the, the main message more, you know, pop more, make it, make it more compelling and interesting. I'm all for interesting. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, if it's not interesting, why bother, right? Well, yeah. Well, because even, even, though, even though you're not getting the credit, you would like someone to read it. Oh, <laughs> oh that's my job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like if I'm a surgeon, I, I want the surgery to be successful. I want the patient to live. You know, I right. mean, even though they're getting paid to do that surgery, I mean, it's not like, well, it's not my body, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, when you were talking about that sense of legacy... I mean, I've certainly seen that uh, here at, you know, Saltwater Media or small oh, yeah. self-publishing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of that. People who are entering sort of a stage in their lives where they, maybe they've retired, maybe they had some really fantastic careers, and maybe they mm-hmm. did some cool stuff. And there's this sense of, I want to capture it all and leave it to my children, my grandchildren, right. my great-grandchildren, people who down the line may not know me but they may want but I want them to know this because that person may know things about the ancestors that you know their lineage and they want to be able to preserve that and pass that down do you see a lot of that component this like sort of legacy driven biography Mm kind of component yeah there there is there is a lot of that and um even beyond that what there is even more of, I think, is because not not every person who's, you know, in their late seventies or early to late eighties, even thinks about you know leaving behind um, the kind of the story of their life or the most dramatic aspect of their life for for their children or you know, but um, a, f- a few do enough that you know that that is a really big market. But the other big market or the big um, group of people that want to write memoirs um, is is really people that have gone through some traumatic childhood event. There's a lot of people that had a um, you know an abusive childhood, or they went through a horrible experience with a, an illness that could have been terminal, but wasn't. Um, and there are just so many of those, like cancer, you know, memoirs. And for somebody who went through that, it's it's the most important thing in their whole life because they survived or they want to pass on information about what you can do if you find yourself in this situation too. But the unfortunate thing is that there are just so many people who've been abused as children, who, who were alcoholic and, and got sober for a long time. You know, it... it you need to come up with something really different. Like Jeanette Walls, I believe her name is, wrote The Glass Castle, which was about her childhood with an alcoholic father and a mother who was an artist. Both parents were just uh, bizarrely uh, and incredibly neglectful of their, I think it was four kids that they had, but it's it's recently been made into a movie. But the good thing about Jeanette's, memoir is that she doesn't burden the reader with the awfulness of her of her life because she's able to love her parents regardless she could see that they were unusual you know really wonderful people in a way as artists you know but they just really weren't prepared to be parents and so i think if you're doing a memoir about abuse you need to find some other way to present the material so that it's not burdensome because Readers don't want to read about every horrible thing that ever happened to you and who you're blaming and why the world is a horrible place as a result. You really have to give a kind of uplifting interpretation in some way. And that was 
that was just part of her DNA. It was part of her to see her life that way. So not everybody can do that. There are very many people that go through extremely difficult things, and all they can really do is, you know, they kind of want to assign blame. Right. And it may be true, you know, that those people really deserved it, but it doesn't make for a good book. Nobody really wants to read it. That's like therapy, right. you know? I think, I think it, the main reason is we... When we're reading, we want to know that everything they went through improved them as a person. Yes, right, yes. <laughs> Instead of just made them yeah. bitter and write a book about how bitter they were. You're right. Yeah, like cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. I learned how to slow down. I learned I learned that I didn't any longer have to be a workaholic. I got in touch with my inner child. I got in touch with my children. I began to play with my dog more, you know. That that kind of th- I don't mean to be sarcastic about no, it, that's, but that's, but that's yeah. sort of the, that's sort of kind of the way it is, you know. There was one other example, maybe Damien Brinkley or Danian Brinkley was uh, electrocuted by lightning twice, and he's written a number of books about that. And he that's a very uplifting thing for him because he became extremely psychic as a result, yeah. you know. And he he travels around the the UFO and the psychic circuits. That was another example of something that, you know, was really horrible because going through, you know, the devastation that happens to people when they're struck by lightning is pretty severe. And yet he came out of it with this new ability. So that was, you know, that's another example of something. But that's so unusual, you know. But we so all want to know that we can overcome whatever happens. Yes, right. Yes, yeah, that's exactly, the, that's that's a good point because that's really what people are looking for. They, they want to go through a vicarious, difficult experience with the author and experience the redemption at the end mm. and the feeling that the human, sp- <laughs> the human spirit triumphs. Like, for instance, Billie Jean King triumphed over this horribly sexist period in our history, which has sort of recently been regurgitated. Right. You know, that's, that's so uh, heartwarming for people. You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we're talking with ghostwriter Laurel Marshfield. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is that if it's just a list of traumas that you've occurred, it's right. like a like an awful grocery list, right? Yeah. You And there's not much for the reader to glean in that. And that's one of the things we're always taught is that flat characters and static characters are not interesting because you don't, right. you know, it's point. the yeah. complexity of a character. It's the right. complexity of a life. It's the complexity of a story that are the things that make us go back or think forward or kind of stay with a story that mm-hmm. makes it kind of memorable is the complexity. And if it's just, let me tell you these 20 awful things <laughs> that have happened to me, or I went to grade school, then I went to middle school, then I went to high school. Like the laundry list thing right. is not, you want to give people a complexity. Well, I, I noticed you've used scene, you've used a lot of movie terms, Scene, yeah. scene, scenes, scenes a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of passage, that that, that yes. jumped out at me. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I guess it comes. It must also come from working with your clients because, again, people have a better sense of what they've seen in the movie. So you're like, if we're going to talk about your book in a way that you are going to understand that as as a non-author, let's talk. You've seen movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the movie of your life, or let's talk about the right. movie of your memoirs. What are the things we're going to focus on? And right. the, the, does that you think help them? get a better sense of how to tell the story. I, I don't usually have to say that, but but um, in, in essence, um, subliminally, I'm telling them, you know, we need to extract from your, your life, you know, what you remember, the most dramatic moments, and give them a beginning, middle, and end in each chapter, which is a scene, mm. you know, and advance the action that way, you know. But 
um, I don't usually explain the technical uh. things that I'm doing to people unless they're interested, you know, because they really just want to see their story on the page, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So how, how am you, I going to become a best-selling author? Too? Uh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. How do you approach the process of working with a client? Is it just, you know, do they call you and then you, do you have like a mm-hmm. consultation and you get a good feel as to whether you would be a good fit for them? Is it, do they have an application process? Like how do you select what you're going to do? Well, um, I, my website has a contact form, and the contact form has lots and lots of questions on it. Okay. And that way I try to... Um, Filter a little bit? Well, I, I, I do an initial call, but I, but I have some information to work with before I do the initial free consult. You know, I talk to them with, about what they want to do, what their, what their um, dream is, um, if it's a memoir... Uh, how that might work. And I also try to explain that um, unless they're really famous it's and or unless they're extremely good writers, and even using a ghostwriter is not going to do it, um, they probably can't get a traditional publisher, um, which, which is really discouraging for a lot of people because they sort of think that all you need to do is write it or get someone who's professional to write it for you, and then you send it off to New York somewhere and they say, oh, my God, this is the best thing since, you know, the invention of the wheel. Of course we'll publish it. And unfortunately, that's not the case, you know. You, what you really need is an author platform. And people with memoirs, um, even people with memoirs, it's not quite the same as what you need in, as an author platform if you're writing a nonfiction book. But even uh, with memoir, you need to have an online presence. You need to have a reason for people to want to buy your book and to know about you right. because the competition is just humongous. I, I forget what the statistics are right now about how many books are published each year, which is why people are turning to self-publishing, you know, because if you can promote your self-published book, you can sell a lot of copies. But if you don't promote it, it's, it, you know, you're, you're going to be limited in the number of copies you can sell. Yeah. So I was traditionally published, but from a small yeah. press, and it's the yeah. same thing. I mean, you have to promote hardly any yeah. difference between that. And, um, yeah. Between being in, between publishing independently and publishing with a small press, because yeah. they're like, well, we'll we'll absorb the cost of the, the ink and the yeah. cardboard, yeah. and you will you do will. everything else. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get, you know, you'll sell the book everywhere you can. <laughs> I get, I get, I get a four hundred dollar check every. Oh, Six good. months. Hey, and, cool. And it's always just the most depressing check. Yeah, oh, it's just, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean. I'm sorry, I wasn't asking you to lose. I was asking for you to laugh at me. No, I wasn't no. asking for you to, I wasn't. I don't want your pity. No. You are going to get I, mine. I, I <laughs> no, I understand. I mean, that's actually really good, you know? I mean, cause, because typically, I think the statistics used to be that most, you know, most self published books, people that publish with Amazon, uh, KD, KDB or whatever, take K. DP or whatever it's called, um, Create Space or mm-hmm. something, um, only sell 300 copies. And that's if the author promotes it. So, you know, it really has to be a labor of love. It has to be something that somebody wants to invest in for some reason. Um, for some reason, or, beyond royalties. In yeah, because money, money is not the reason to write a book yeah. at it all. It should never be the reason yeah, to write yeah. a book. Yeah. Because it, 
it, it is not a moneymaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unless, you know, no. unless you're, you know, really, really famous. Right. And then you would get a traditional publisher and they would give you a million dollar advance or something like, you know, like Art of the Deal. Right. But that was professionally written. But do you know what's not professionally written? I bet your limericks in my haikus. Absolutely, oh. that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the second guest in a row that answered my stupid question at the end of the. <laughs> oh. I've, I've got to. I've got to ask even worse questions in oh, the future. Oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, it's all good. No, it's all good. So how would they get them? Yeah, if you like the show and you like what you're hearing, you can always go to so what's your story podcast.com. If you click on the contact us page. You can give us your name, your mailing address. If you pick a word, Tony will put it into a limerick. I will put it into a haiku. We'll put it on a fancy schmancy postcard that we had just made up just for our show. And we'll put a stamp on it and we will pay a guy to bring it to your house. Just like it's 1853. It might even come on a pony. Uh, (laughs) Now, Stephanie, this is the part of the show where you thank the guests. Well, Laurel, thank you so much for for being here and and talking with us. Thanks so much. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review. Tell your story.